This is Charlie Goodchild and Andrew Goodall, and you're listening to the Health Space Podcast. This is the podcast where we dive deep into health-related questions and topical issues relevant to us all. The world of health and medicine is messy, full of contrasting opinions and misleading advice. We will challenge the myths and common misconceptions by exploring the evidence, speaking to leading experts along the way. We are physiotherapists, have been friends since university and share the same belief that everyone deserves the opportunity to access high quality, up-to-date health information. When it comes to health, we believe that better never ends. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Before I let you loose on this episode of the Health Space podcast, I just wanted to welcome you all back. So myself and Andy have been busy most of the summer getting out on some endurance events, which we'll release a, an episode on in a few weeks. But also just to add a bit of context, so this was an episode recorded quite a few months ago, in fact, February of 2021. And we were initially saving it for the series we're going to host on pain later in the year. But we really wanted to kickstart the show again with this absolute banger of an episode. So here we go, Dr. James Noak. Welcome to another episode of the Health Space Podcast. So you're here with me, Charlie Goodchild, and Andrew Goodall. Uh, today we've got um, a fantastic guest coming on to talk to us, uh, Dr. James Noak. So James is sports and exercise medicine consultant. He works with, with me at uh, Bank Clinic at Pure Sports Medicine. Um, and he's probably the person I've learned the most of, actually, since starting work at Pure couple of years ago now so I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say. We've mainly targeted a discussion around scans and and imaging. Um, It's one of the things that as a physio I get asked a lot about and and a lot of patients put a lot of importance on it and and sort of see it as this uh, the the main way of diagnosing a problem Uh, and although sometimes that's true it's it's also sometimes the opposite as well so I thought that no better person to speak to about this than James. Um, What's your thoughts thoughts on that Andy? Yeah, so I've got um, a little bit of experience working with James. I see uh, some of his patients in clinic, but my most favoured experience with James was at a a well-known conference uh, in Copenhagen, and uh, we got to share some thoughts and ideas on generally on management of knee injuries, but also got to have plenty beers and share some pretty pitiful dance moves. Yes, Um, very (laughs) true. So, no, I'm... I'm looking forward to hearing James do some work and uh, chat some scans and whatnot because I know he's both an expert in diagnosis and also helping with certainly with some difficult cases that we've managed together. So it'd be interesting to hear his thoughts on that for sure. And I, and I think just before we let James come in and introduce himself properly, I'll, I'll just um, also mention that. So when we first started talking about this podcast a few months back, I'd I'd mentioned to James that we were we were going to be recording these live. I'd said that we're going to get them in at my house. We'll we'll have all three of us together just to get that vibe going, and everyone's talking, chatting, bouncing off each other. And and obviously since then, lockdown has hit pretty hard. So we'd changed plans. But what I forgot to do was tell James no. So so he uh, he 
he sort of panicked panic messaged me this morning saying oh i'm just looking at the trains i'm just trying to figure out what, what i'm going to do and uh, th- thankfully we, we managed to settle that and remind him that actually it's okay at the moment we're doing this remotely so uh, i'll just drop james in that one at the moment but um he, he nearly made a, a train across london thinking we were some super duper ppe'd up in in my spare bedroom recording the podcast so um yeah I'll, on that on that note james I'll, I'll i'll let you come in and introduce yourself can you just tell us a little bit about your your career so far and Thanks, guys. Firstly, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's um, a huge privilege. And um, yeah, I mean, I want to throw the same thing back at you guys. You know, I'm, I feel very lucky to work with you guys at, um, at Pure Sports Medicine. I suppose my, my, my journey so far has been pretty prolonged and diverse. Um, so I'm currently consulting in musculoskeletal sport and exercise medicine, which is a formal uh, specialty recognized within NHS. Um, but I come from initially a, a trauma and orthopedic background. Uh, surgical background with a focus on orthopedics and then realized that I um, actually much prefer the sort of the physician side of things that the medical side of things actually so and at, around that time around 2006-07 there was sort of ruminations about sport and exercise medicine coming to fruition maybe being a formal specialty uh, around that time but I, I, I spent um, a year doing an MSc full-time in SEM sport and exercise medicine at that time and then they started releasing posts for sport and exercise medicine training at that point. Uh, but it wouldn't allow me to come into that training scheme with just my surgical background. So I then had to spend two or three years doing acute medicine, which actually I found I enjoyed far more than the, the surgical side of things because I think I was more minded in that sense. I was more, uh, more interested in the clinical side of things, patient interaction, communication, rather than spending all day in, in theatre with a heavy heavy lead gown on essentially. And then after two years of doing that, I was lucky enough to get on, onto a sports medicine rotation in the London Deanery. Spent four years uh, working my way around various centers of excellence, uh, then came off the top end uh, as, a, as a sports medicine consultant. Can you tell us a little bit just at that point there, can you, mm. you know, we're quite aware now what sports medicine consultants do because we work with, with you, but even probably prior to working at Pure, I didn't, didn't really have that much information or didn't have that much knowledge about what sports med consultant does outside of the world of sport. You know, I've worked in sport for a long time and worked with doctors with sports medicine backgrounds and mm-hmm. specialities, but in a, in a clinical sense, in a sort of everyday clinical sense, what does that mean? Um, well, <laughs> We sort of when we come off our training scheme, we sort of we sort of split into sort of exercise medicine and sports slash musculoskeletal medicine, really. So people tend to sort of gravitate one way or the other. I think with the majority of SCM consultants moving towards the musculoskeletal side of things, essentially. And I think unfortunately, although we have these formal training posts within the NHS, we're not probably utilised as well as we could be by the NHS itself. So some people go into that into that side of things. Other people take much more of a sort of a portfolio approach in terms of their career. So they might move into elite sport and team medicine, working with clubs and, and teams themselves, into the private sector to a certain degree. For example, places like pure sports medicine. Certain roles do pop up in terms of, for example, say interface clinics in primary care, rest sports and exercise medicine doctors, uh, in, in emergency departments, honorary consultant posts within orthopedic departments. So like I say, it's a very diverse specialty and people take up different roles in that sense. I guess you've done a bit of all of it in some ways. Uh, we've worked a lot in sports as well and, and now you're yeah, settling, yeah. settling into the MSK journey as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean I've been hugely fortunate. Well, 
most of us are very fortunate to work in elite and professional sport. I've probably been working in mainly rugby and athletics for around 11, 12 years. Um, I've been head doctor at London Irish Rugby Club for seven years, and I've left that left that role now, but remain a consultant to them. But you know, working at that level is a, is a huge privilege, really. Um, and I think what it lets you do is, you know, bring the principles of elite sports back to the general public. I mean, ultimately, you know, we're all we're all humans designed in the same way. We have the same biology and the same physiology. There's no reason why we can't take those principles and apply them to our patients. So it's a great opportunity to do that in a general setting. James, we sort of know the sort of positions or you covered the positions. Like what does a sort of an appointment with an SEM doctor feel like for a patient? Or what's the is the constituents of, of, of a, uh, an appointment with somebody like yourself? You know, and think think about where SEM docs sit in terms of our role in the patient journey. I think, you know, ideally, you know, if a patient has, let's say presents with an injury in whatever form, I see us best utilised at the beginning of that journey. Initial assessment, almost like a triage point, I think. That's, I think, that's where SEM is best utilised. You know, full assessment of the patient, using those clinical skills in clinic, in terms of making an accurate or confident diagnosis you know, at the point of access to care. Many of us are actually skilled in, in diagnostic ultrasound. So, you know, we, we upskill in this, do postgraduate um, training or courses in this. Ultrasound is a really key way, uh, a scanning technique at the point of care there in clinic to help, help with a diagnosis, you know, rather than sending patients out for external scans of a test that, you know, extend the, the, the diagnostic timescales, really. Um, but yeah, the idea is, yeah, to, to idea, get, a, get a hard diagnosis, get an understanding what the patient is struggling with, you know, what their goals are, what their sports, sports goals are, essentially, what their physical activity goals are. You know, is it affecting their um, occupation? Get a handle on that diagnosis. You know, do they need certain types of pain management? Do we need to get that under control? You know, how do we do that optimally? And then referring on to, or in-house, certainly like in a place like sports, pure sports medicine, which is multidisciplinary, referring on to a, uh, a specialist physiotherapist who, who has that skill set to help with that specific. So we start, we're at the beginning of that patient's journey and then moving them on through the multidisciplinary team, essentially. That's, that's how I see we sit. That's, that's how we sit. And then once we've, we've moved that patient on to that physiotherapist, then we can work you know, effectively as a team to get that patient moving towards their goals, back to their physical activity over time. And essentially, we can always take a step back as a sports medicine consultant to coordinate that process, I think. We can bring in other allied clinicians, whether it be strength and conditioning coaches, podiatrists, nutrition, biomechanists in, you know, when we see fit. You know, from all the feedback we get from patients, that's where we get the most out of, of, of that approach. They find that you know, extremely rewarding. And that's, that's how we get patients back to their levels of physical activity in sport in the most effective way, in the safest way, really. Yeah, and, and as a, a physio, I, I find the, the access to, to a consultant sports medicine consultant like yourself to be such a helpful part of my my management plans with patients as well so that it might be at the early stage where a diagnosis is unsure it's a complex case and I'm I don't want to send them to a surgeon but I do need a a bit of extra extra help on maybe just discussing through the diagnostics of the case and I've I've had some amazing chats with yourself with with troubling cases and I I find that such a helpful thing to do to, to have two people talking about that with the aid of diagnostics like scans for example 
and, and also as a bit of a backup as well sometimes it's you sort of, when you're planning mapping out the journey for a patient you say right okay so here's your here's the plan you know we expect this to happen at this this time this time and this time and if it doesn't happen then we'll bring another set of eyes onto it and, and it might be a sports medicine consultant then comes in at that stage so yeah absolutely. i think it works really well in that journey so um yeah. it's, it's such a helpful process we can sit, yeah, we sit at the start of the journey, you know, we, we can be effective there, but like I say, not everyone can see a sports medicine doctor, you know, straight off the bat. It's not, it's not that pragmatic. It's not that accessible for a lot of people. And there's no doubt there's a whole host of conditions, um, acute injuries, you know, things like ankle or ligament and muscle sprains and strains, you know, acute lower back pain episodes. You know, these are all things that an experienced physiotherapist like yourselves, you know, can manage extremely effectively potentially more effective in SEM doc, you know, in the early phases. You know, not everything needs to see a sports medicine doc straight away. But that's that's when the communication becomes very important to be able to coordinate with a doctor like myself. If a patient's struggling to make progress, if they're in pain, you're not making, you know, we're not moving through the rehab process as effectively as we thought we did would within those timescales essentially. So you know coordination and communication between members of the team, you know, is really important. And I think a lot of people think that's musculoskeletal injuries that's dealt with or by trauma orthopedic surgeons and there's that's still very much the the perspective of a lot of gps and other doctors because they don't fully understand or know about the role of, of SEM. but what we know is that the vast majority of injuries and conditions don't need surgery they don't need you know they don't need surgical inputs you know it's only a tiny fraction really and surgeons aren't necessarily an orthopedic so not necessarily the best place to to give a balanced view on how to manage an injury or to how to coordinate that, or certainly then have a good idea about the, the overview of rehab and what that should look like. So obviously SEM sits very nicely there and that sits in that part. And everyone has very important roles and certainly not denigrating the role of an orthopedic surgeon, but you know, they have, we have different roles at different times. So if we're working, trying to work as effective as we can with yourself, the patient's not making progress, that's when we might get an orthopedic surgeon involved at that point. We bring them on, bring them on board, bring them into the multidisciplinary team. You know, maybe even organize a combined assessment, a joint assessment with them, which the, which the patient finds yeah, really valuable, really, really effective. And by that point, we've selected a patient really well. You know, we've prehabilitated them. We've got them as strong as, as we can do. You know, we've optimized them. The patient's well selected for the orthopedic surgeon. And that potentially has a positive effect on the patient's outcomes. So again, it's, it's, it's about where each clinician sits in that, in that patient journey and how we can be most effective, really. But it's tied up by effective communication and effective interaction between the members of the team. If we're working in isolation, the patient just doesn't get the same out of it at all. And that's, that's where I think we are really lucky. Yeah, that's absolutely. where that's where I think we're really lucky. And um, I guess I, I used to sort of see before I came uh, into working in within a, the environment of an MDT, I used to kind of see doctors as almost like the uh, like the quarterback type stuff. You know, like they're almost directing stuff yeah. from a distance, and they're just kind of telling everybody what happens. And then when you work in a sort of environment like us, it's it's much more, I guess, like a traditional soccer environment where everyone's got a role and everybody's important. But to get to the to get to the kind of end goal everybody has to kind of pull their um, or do their role sorry effectively to get to that end goal which is interesting it's less about one person and more about everybody working yeah absolutely kind of as a individual skill sets exactly yeah we're not all brilliant at everything we pull those skill set resources and that's when the patient gets the best outcome yeah 
I, th- I think it's uh, really important to have this chat because, it, you know, we talk a lot about Mythbusters and trying to bust myths on the, on podcasts and with our Instagram page. But I think one of them is that the, the myth is the role of the SEM or the role of the surgeon, the role of the GP. So just having this conversation, I think, really helps to to map out where everyone sits within that role and everyone everyone has their their key role. But at the right time, that, that, I think that's really what message from you was. Is, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I like that metaphor, Andy. Actually, the quarterback and the and the football team. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's um, it's it's something I've I've thought about, but haven't kind of crafted yet. But yeah, I suppose uh, American football versus soccer are two yeah. different sports, right? So it helps. Okay, um, James, you mentioned you mentioned scans, or we sorry, we mentioned scans. We've glossed over scans altogether and sort of mentioned that they're part of the the package. What are scans or imaging for? What can they be used for? I don't mean like a glossary of everything, but, you know, roughly where do they sit and what is their role, I suppose, is a better, better way of saying that. Yeah, it's a huge topic, isn't it? I think, you know, first of all, what, you know, what do we mean by scans? I suppose most when we talk about a scan, most people imagine we're talking about an MRI scan. You know, there are other you know, extremely useful imaging types. We call them modalities, you know, simple X-ray, ultrasound we talked about earlier, which is, essentially the, the sports medicine doctor's stethoscope and clinic, um, CT scans, and they all, you know, they all have different roles. They are good for certain things, good at picking up certain types of injuries, some not so good at. Best example is x-ray is fantastic for looking for, for bony injury, fractures and things like that. Ultrasound is very good for looking at soft tissue, ligaments, tendons, but has its limitations. For example, you can't look into joints with ultrasound. CT scans fantastic for bony imaging as well, gives you very, very high resolution scans. An MRI is probably, is viewed as the, the best imaging tool, I suppose, because it's, it's a catch-all. You know, it can tell us a lot about all different types of um, body parts and tissues, essentially. So sometimes, you know, that's why patients, patients have this fixation that an MRI scan is, the, is probably the, the, the gold standard, I suppose. But certainly, I mean, the problem is that MRI scans, yeah, as you, as you alluded to, are are very can be helpful, but you know they're absolutely not the last the last word in terms of diagnostics. They're not the be all and end all. And a lot of patients don't realise that in some ways, if we use scans in the wrong way, then potentially that you know they can be have a negative influence on their journey. They have to be used in the right way and for the right reason, essentially. And I, and I think this next question will help to explore that a little bit more. This is probably the question I really wanted to, to ask you today. Actually, I think it's the absolute crux of the, of the podcast. Can a scan tell you where pain comes from? The short answer is it can, can tell you where the pain comes from, but it does, does it always show where the pain comes from? No, yeah. absolutely not. Absolutely not. An x-ray ultrasound, an MRI scan absolutely isn't a pain scan. I think um, you guys might've seen what you know of David Poulter, He's a very experienced physiotherapist yeah. on, on, on Twitter, quite vocal on medical Twitter. But he has this fantastic idea of the wedding picture analogy. And when you have a wedding picture, you know, everyone's smiling, looking at the camera for the actual main photo. What you don't see is all the arguments, the tears, the arguments behind it. So you don't know, you know, you don't know what's relevant or what's not. You know, you can't tell who's happy, angry or drunk just from a scan. I think that's quite, that's quite a nice analogy, really. There are some things that you can see some features maybe on a, again, example on an MRI scan that can hint about where pain comes from. So for example, you might see bone swelling. You can see fluid and inflammation in joints and around tendons and ligament insertion points. And 
again, Nathan will hint as to where pain is coming from, but it's, yeah, absolutely, it's not, it's not foolproof. Absolutely not. I think the closest thing we might have to a, a pain, a true pain scan, is something called a, a CT SPECT scan, which is basically just a posh scan, a posh CT scan fused with a nuclear scan. So you get a, a beautiful picture of all the beautiful bony resolution. And then on top of that, you have this nuclear scan which shows you almost like a hotspot, an X marks a spot. So it shows you where there's increased activity in, in tissues. So even, like I say, even that's not set in stone, but that's probably the closest we have to a pain scan. It's very rarely, really, rarely used. So I don't, I don't want to sow that seed <laughs> too much on it's the a, podcast. It's a classic doctor talk there to describe a scan yeah. as beautiful. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure many many people would look at a scan and necessarily describe it in that term. But I, I know what you mean. I've, no, I've seen it. Yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, typical doctor. Um, it's only be glowing glowing with um, radiation after a scan like that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That, hence why they're used <laughs> sparingly, right? So um, absolutely. Uh, maybe that actually it's a good chance to talk about that then. So what? Why not just scan everyone then? I mean, we've we've briefly touched on radiation as as one of the reasons then. But can you give, give us a bit of a clue about the negative effects of scans or certain scans? Well, I think the, fir the first thing to consider is that the patient's story, what we call the patient history, and the examination of the patient, a comprehensive examination, is by far and away the most important part of the, the patient workup, the patient journey. You know, by the time we've taken time to listen to the patient and explore their issue, how it affects them, and then we put an examination into the, into the context of, of their history, then we should have a pretty good understanding of what's causing the pain. Pretty good idea of the diagnosis by then. I think I think you both agree with that. Absolutely. So you know, absolutely. You know, then we call that clinical reasoning. You know, the MRI scan does not, uh, no scan replaces clinical reasoning. If anything, I tell patients the MRI scan is the least important part. So we're only going to use a scan ideally to corroborate, to understand, or put put the pieces of the jigsaw in place from the story we've got from the patients and from the examination. So we're looking for very, we're looking to ask very specific questions of a scan. You know, is it, does it show X, Y, or Z? Referring for a scan should really only be done if it's going to change our management. How is it going to influence the patient journey? Is it going to make it, you know, is it going to alter how we're going to approach the, the rationale to their treatment essentially? Yes, absolutely. In terms of, you know, in terms of the negative, negative effects, that if you, what we now know is that most scans will show or throw up incidental findings, abnormalities which are normal, essentially. <laughs> you know, the more technologically advanced we get, the better the resolution, the higher quality scans we get, the more we pick up. So it's very, very common to find on MRI scans abnormal um, or what might one want to call age-related changes on a scan. Or, well, for example, if we use the spine as an example, we might find that patients have got slightly worn out discs, slightly bulging discs, or what we call disc arthritis. We might see changes in the joints next door to, to the disc, you know, things that potentially could be quite scary for the patients, but actually we know are almost irrelevant. You know, we see these changes in normal people, in pain-free people, you know, as we get older, essentially. We both, I think we know about the, that sort of landmark paper which looked at you know a cross-section of the population the normal population of changes in the lumbar spine and when we get to 40 years old we know that at least 50 percent of patients have what are described as disc bulging uh, disc narrowing disc dehydration all these quite scary terms 10 to 20 percent of people have 
facet joint arthritis uh, change, degenerative changes so and obviously only a fraction of these people will have symptoms related to these changes so it's incredibly important that you know we anticipate that and you know potentially that we prime the patient as well yeah and i think that you just touched on it as well the age-related nature of this because that study that you mentioned there goes on to show that many of these findings increase with age and, and not necessarily that the pain increases. It's this was a pain-free population that you're referencing, Absolutely, yeah. and and the findings uh, as you get older, each decade, many of these uh, symptoms, I think, facet joint degeneration, disc degeneration, all of these increase with age up to I think one of them is something like 96% in your 80s of, of having yeah, disc degeneration. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm correct, so you know you're you're abnormal if you don't have these changes as you get older in some way. Yeah. So um, I think it's really important that we highlight that fact is that they are age-related changes, then they shouldn't be th thought of as abnormalities. They they are just the way that, you know, we age on the outside. In We, we don't even question people that have grey hair, receding hairline like myself, yeah. you know. That's a normal thing, wrinkles. That's But then all of a sudden we age on the inside and some people freak out about it. But it's it's just the same. It's just the way that our body changes with age. 100%, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I like how Charlie throws in receding hairline. Is that still called a receding hairline? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, hang I'm <laughs> anyway, hanging on no. to it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I really like your point, James, on um, we use scans like to corroborate what we think is going on. I think I don't necessarily believe that patients always think that that's why we send them for scans. I believe that they think we're using the scan to determine what is going on or to tell us what is going on yes. because we're not sure. And although we're not always sure, we very often kind of have an idea about what's going to come back and with yeah. it sometimes it throws a curveball but most of the time we're looking for confirmation of what we think is yeah happening. exactly so we're looking for you know we're looking to ask a specific question and does that answer help us dictate what our next step is for example you know is there if a patient has leg pain is there a, a disc herniation or disc bulge there that if a patient doesn't respond to non-invasive treatment physiotherapy load management etc then is there then a role for an injection, something like an epidural, to help with that pain? Absolutely. So then that way, it, it, it sort of influences that. Absolutely. But I think we're quite... <laughs> doctors are quite often guilty of being... Not, not, they don't cope well with uncertainty, perhaps, I think. So not being, not being certain about what the diagnosis is, there's this maybe a tendency to order a scan to cover themselves in some ways, or to maybe... You know, validate the patient's concerns you know to show that they're taking that patient's conditional injury seriously um, but that's the casting the net wide is probably it's just not the way to do it it's not good medicine you know you need to be asking specific questions of that scan absolutely yeah. i think something that um as with physios we don't always have especially prior to having good access to someone like yourself we'd get used to being uncertain a bit more i would say that something something i do a lot more now is confidently sit on the fence you know yeah. i'm okay saying to a patient we, we don't know yet but it doesn't matter because the management doesn't change so again that that comes yeah. back to your your statement it, is it going to change the management is this scan going to going to make a difference to to the outcome at this stage and often yeah. I'll, I'll be saying to a patient do you know what the diagnosis at this stage is irrelevant what we're doing is is working on a diagnose, uh, working on a management management plan towards these these criteria so if you're not progressing by this this stage then perhaps we we, we take that diagnosis a step further because perhaps yeah we have slightly miss something or you're sitting outside of a normal distribution of recovery but yes yeah, yeah. i think that's a really key part to to highlight as well is that we're um 
we're okay sometimes mm. not being fully certain and it has to change the management and once it's once we're at that stage then yeah it suddenly becomes really important absolutely probably with pain levels as well patients feel that you know they can come in with very severe episodes of pain and i think my sciatica might be a good example or we see it all the time in clinic patients talk about having an acute episode of lower back pain bending over to put their socks on you know picking their kid out the bath doing their teeth whatever it might be and they describe this of catastrophic muscle spasm lockdown they say my back went they're on the floor sometimes they have to call an ambulance they go to A&E and get sent back but this sort of disproportionate levels of pain they puts it together with it being a serious injury or there's been there must be a serious underlying structural problem on the back of that and therefore I need a scan in the early phase to understand what 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 has gone what has gone so wrong to cause this much this much pain this much this much dysfunction really but we know most of the time that in these episodes often there's there's a very trivial injury that's that's catalyzes that set it off and it's, it's a bit of a battle helping the patient understand that a scan won't show that and it won't change what we do in the early phases absolutely it's a bit like stubbing your toe isn't it you know you, it's yeah. the, probably the most or stepping on a big chunk of lego it's one of the most yeah, excruciating exactly. experiences of your life but it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that you've had any structural damage or you know brain freeze you, you haven't you haven't got brain damage you've just eaten something cold and your brain's been <laughs> shocked into something that, that, that it presents with pain so i think one of the messages here is that pain doesn't equal damage sometimes it does but a lot of the time it doesn't and it certainly doesn't correlate particularly accurately in, in many occasions you know some of those examples have just come up with there so um, that's where yeah, we just absolutely. have to be cautious with with scans just to make sure that we're telling that story yeah. that's where it's important, important to review as well so you know most of the time having an early scan will not change that early phase management and most people will get better but if a patient doesn't get better the pain symptoms or pain doesn't get better over time or the symptoms start to change or evolve for example it goes from back pain into leg pain or they start to get um, problems with weakness or loss of sensation or things like that that's when we think about a scan because things haven't changed there might be something more significant structurally going on and it might change what we do it might help us escalate the treatment in a in, a, in an effective way really i mean also we haven't mentioned you know, priorities in terms of scanning as well so we talk about the concepts of red flags as well you know red flags being potentially serious or life-threatening conditions which um, very rarely crop up but make us quite concerned or worried as, as clinicians basically so that might be the time when we would think about a scan early to get a good understanding of that things like a fracture or infection or a tumor so cancer and things like that but those things are so rare yeah, it's very much up to the clinician to be aware of those and screen those out and, and be vigilant essentially but those are about the only times we'd think about getting an early scan that would be the best one that would be a priority what if i'm the patient what if the scan comes back clear what does that mean for me if i if i'm still in pain what does that mean it can be challenging i mean i try and if I, this happens quite frequently in clinic if that happens i you know i stress to the patient that that's a good thing ultimately um, you know we don't want to find nasties absolutely we don't want to find you know even even conditions or injuries that are considered trivial by the public things like i don't know gluteal tendonitis hamstring tendonitis you know those things are can be really challenging to manage we know that so you know, we don't want to be finding don't want to be finding these these the, these pathologies these structural changes necessarily 
So I try and stress the positivity of that. But all three of us know that patients are often very, often disappointed by it. Yeah, they're, they're, it's their face drops when you tell them, "Oh, the scan, good news. The scan's the scan's fine." And you just watch their face drop, and you can sort of get that because patients can be, you know, they're focused on wanting to find an answer, and they think the answer lies in that scan. And all, all, all too often, it doesn't. We know that. And often, the doctor, if the doctor's quite inexperienced, you know, they're, they're disappointed they haven't found something as well. <laughs> you know, it happens a lot in primary care, and GPs will order scans because they have access to things like MRI scans in. In, in general practice and they'll order a scan because sometimes they feel like they don't have anywhere else to go with that they get a scan done there's nothing there and then what does that leave them with the patient essentially yeah i it's think really as, yeah as, as physios we're, we're probably better equipped for that because we have those rehab tools we've we're used to having those kind of conversations but yeah i mean especially if we go back to the orthopedic surgeon for example if an orthopedic surgeon's then dealt with that, they, I can imagine at times some of those are a little bit lost. And, and I've definitely heard of occasions where they might say, well, we can't see anything on the scan. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll do an arthroscopic procedure to see if we can mm. see anything inside the, inside the body. And you think, okay, uh, what, what about if you go, if you deescalate that situation yes. instead of escalate and, and, and so maybe send them to, you know, a, a clinician at that point, a rehab clinician, for, for example. 100%, 100%. That's where the, I think the role of the SCM doc is so important. You know, taking a, a holistic, a balanced viewpoint on an injury and what a scan means or doesn't mean, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And then that important coordination with physiotherapists like yourself to formulate a you know, non-invasive, a non-harmful treatment plan. You know, get the patient better through non-surgical means. Yeah, it comes back to the, the key role of the sport and exercise medicine doctor, I think. There. But I think, you know, going on from the scan coming back clear, sometimes, again, you guys probably see this as well, that you know, patients then start to think, well, you know, is, is the pain in my head? Is this, you know, is this, is this psychological? And we, we have to be very careful to make sure they, they don't think that. Because we know that's not the case. We know, we know the patient's not imagining it. We know they're not lying. You know, the pain for them is, is very real. But you can have you know, things like muscle spasm or overactivity, tightness, whatever you want to describe it. Things that cause structures in the body that cause, can still cause significant pain. But you just can't see it on the scan. You can't see those things. We might, you know, sometimes we label them as functional. We can't see problems with the way muscles or fascia, et cetera, moves. So certain tissues in the body can be under stress and unhappy, but without being overtly damaged or, you know, showing signs of that on the scan. But that's a difficult conversation to have with patients. I think it's hard to get that, to get that across. It's, there's real nuance in that. And that takes, that's where the skill of the, the, the doctor and the physiotherapist comes in as well. I think nerve pain is another good example of that or neural tension. You know, it's a very real, a very real concept. You know, it can be utterly disabling, and miserable, but you can't necessarily pick it up on up, up on a scan. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was I was about to ask you about nerve um, nerves on scans as well. So yeah, it's a really good point. Before we go there, can I just share a really interesting case? So I got a guy who came to see me. He was referred to me by an orthopedic consultant, but I was seeing his brother prior to this, and his I saw his brother he who. Uh, they've both got ACL injuries, classic. That's what I see all day. But essentially the first brother ruptured his ACL. And then as a recommendation, he was like, well, I know you've ruptured your ACL as well, brother. And I've been, we've both been playing football and I've done mine. And maybe you should get an MRI scan to just check yours is all right. Right. This other brother, no symptoms, playing football happily, no issues. No injury. Has the... No, no injury that he's aware of. Still playing in football. Has an MRI scan. Confirmed ACL rupture. 
develops instability and pain as a result post scan and diagnosis wow <laughs> yeah so with nothing added to that at all just no extra injury so you, you know and this is maybe an extreme example but this is yeah. where it becomes important about picking exactly. the kind of right moments and, and course, what these yeah. findings sometimes can can kind of mean so i've not been this is the first time being exposed, been exposed to this sort of thing but very yeah. interesting you know? it just shows you what what instability can be triggered by as well you know we we think that instability yeah. is a very structural thing but if he's gone from not knowing he's got he's got an acl deficiency to suddenly knowing and that was the trigger for his instability it just shows you what what's really going on there yeah which just shows it's the, the again coming back to potentially how scans can be so harmful. So incidental asymptomatic findings on a scan, you know, have this, neg this negative impacts, you know, it can trigger, you know, not knowing, finding something you've never known about, like Andy says, the ACL, or you find a bulging disc on a scan, but it's the wrong side. It's got nothing to do with your pain. You know, that leads to anxiety, fear avoidance behavior, and the patient starts shielding themselves from exercise, or they feel that it's dangerous to exercise because it's unstable. And it's a sort of onward cycle. It's a, it's, a, it's, a downward, it's a downward curve, isn't it? It's a downward cycle. It's not an easy decision to organise or refer for a scan. Well, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a simple, a simple decision. Yeah, I, I work, I'd say I work with a lot of complex cases that have been through that downward spiral situation where they've made a choice five, ten years before to protect themselves because they've felt um, vulnerable to an injury, sometimes for, from a scan, other times other reasons, but they've decided to protect themselves from exercise and avoid the things that they're worried about. And, and you see the effects of long-term exercise and a normal movement avoidance is catastrophic for, for their quality of life. So sometimes yeah. people might think that it's incidental to, to mention these findings on scans and not clarify you know that what these these findings mean but it can be life-changing for, for some people not everyone you know most people can can interpret that and go yeah okay that's fine I can I can read that but not everyone can and I think it's really important that we discuss the interpretation of that as well and and why it's important to really be clear about what you're seeing on a scan what that means for that person attach it to an assessment discuss that with someone who really knows what they're doing um, and that, that kind of brings me on to, to my next question about the interpretation of scans and it's probably not quite as binary as everyone thinks, you know, people might think that you get a scan and everyone will have the same thought of, of that, but that's not the case. You know, so one person might think one thing another thinks another, it takes a lot of experience and, and, and a lot of time looking at scans to really get good at it as well. So how do you know whether the person that's reported on your scan is, is, is experienced and they're seeing the right stuff? What's your thoughts on, on that? It's a pretty big topic, but I'll, I'll drop the, drop that one and, and leave you with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, we're all humans and you know, we're, we're all trained differently as, as clinicians. Uh, we have different experiences, different skill sets. And actually, you know, an MRI or a scan or the interpretation of a scan is very much a, a subjective, a personal assessment, isn't it? Really, it's, it's you can't. It's hard to be completely objective when you're looking through a scan. With an ultrasound scan, for example, that's that's very user dependent, skill dependent. So. In the hands, an ultrasound in the hands of one person wouldn't reveal anything anywhere near as much information as it would be in someone much more experienced. I don't think it's necessarily, is it the right question to say, you know, do, you, do we know whose interpretation is, is correct? I think it's more important that, you know, if, if you've got a very experienced SEM doc, a very experienced radiologist, you're probably going to come up with a, a similar report or a similar assessment. But it's more important to, to take those findings and put them in the context of the patient's case or the injury. That's the most important thing. That's all that matters. 
and also again we've touched on it already that the, the language that's used in that interpretation in that formal report is, is utterly critical as well for the reasons we've, we've just talked about we also shouldn't forget that when you get a report back from a radiologist you know they're pretty much duty bound to report everything on a scan they're going to read out everything on a scan essentially label everything that they see and obviously a lot of that or a significant amount of that won't be won't be relevant to the case uh, and that can be pretty scary for a patient you know if it's not addressed properly or or explained by the doctor so i think it's certainly very important that any patient who has a scan of whatever form must have that follow-up with that same doctor or that same SEM consultant to go through the the meaning of the scan to go through the pictures face to face understanding what's relevant what's not why is that relevant why do we not care about that why can we put it to one side and actually have the also have the report in front of you as well because I think it is good for the patient to have that report I think it's good practice but again there can often be quite scary things on that report and lots of stuff that's not relevant to their case so I would go through it systematically point out what's pertinent to their to their case and their injury I might underline those things on the report I might cross out some things that, <laughs> that I really think they shouldn't be looking at or is irrelevant and I think also that um, you know we talk about in a more granular detail in terms of grading in terms of in terms of interpretation you know, often radiologists will look to, to grade things on a scan as well I think that's quite an important concept so um, grading being maybe types of arthritis or severity of a of a tendonitis but what we know is actually that grading doesn't correlate with symptoms so we know that for example you can have really quite severe arthritis in your knee or hip you know, a, a radiologist might even use the term bone on bone which is a, you know, a term i absolutely hate but something to come back to but those patients can still be fully active have minimal pain I've got patients who I see like that who are still able to run, jog, do half marathons. So they have a very high, high grading, a severe grading of their arthritis, but are very functional. And on the flip side, I've got patients who are much younger who have very minimal changes on a scan. Their grading is low and yet really struggle with pain. It's really affecting their quality of life. They can't, they can't do the sports they do. So you know, even having trying to ob objectively grade a scan or give it a, a severity level isn't isn't that helpful. You know, like I say, it doesn't correlate with the patient's symptoms essentially. I know Charlie will want to come on to sort of the words, and, and you used a, a few that we can we can go through like bone on bone. But I think something I've seen recently, um, which I found really useful, especially as some uh, reports are can be lengthy, as we know, with lots of things highlighted purely on the basis that you know the radiologist has to report on what they see but when you get those itemized and uh, incidentally we have found or this seems to be of no um, relevance to symptoms or you get those little remarks sometimes actually yeah. by the, the radio radiologist on the report I think that difficult I suppose if you haven't got the con the patient in front of you to give all that context but sometimes just having some of that on the actual report really helps you build a picture with the patient when it you're does. sitting down going through it and saying the same things yeah. uh, and just build a bit of confidence so I've seen that a bit more recently over the last few years and I think that's that's certainly something that I would yeah, yeah. implore them to continue with it's having the skill of the radiologist and but also you know it's sort of in the lap of the of the referring doctor or clinician as well in terms of the information you might put on the on the on the referral form so if you don't put anything on the referral form how is that radiologist 
how are they going to put it in the context? You know, they're going to have to report everything. It's a second guess, isn't it? If you put a lot of information on it and ask them very specific questions, then it reciprocates. They can help you. And then that helps the patient, certainly. Um, so that's how it should be. So it's a two-way street, certainly, in that sense, I think. Uh, Andy just suggested there that, that I'll have a particular interest in this next topic. So it's something that I've spoken about a lot on my own personal uh, Instagram account, uh, the use of words. I quite like the, the metaphor that, you know, words are like toothpaste. Once they're out, you can't put them back in again. So, you know, sometimes patients might get told pretty scary things by clinicians, you know, really experienced senior clinicians that are quite negative towards the way they um, they interpret findings, you know, things like, crumbling spine or you know slip discs even you know it's a, for some people that might be a normal thing and, and, you, and you can they don't really second guess that but for other people slip disc might be something that hang on a minute where's my disc slipping to that sounds really bad you know that means my spine is out of place you know a lot of some of these words can be really powerful for the way someone might might then yeah. change their life so t tell us a bit about that and, and the way that you manage that in your own practice yeah sure i mean you know as you say the language really matters you know, doctors and other clinicians, they're not, we don't use these terms on purpose. You know, we're not trying to, to harm patients. We're not trying to sow that seed of doubt. But, you know, we have to be thinking very carefully about, very carefully about the words we use. Because as you say, once the patient hears that, you know, how do, how do you unravel that? You know, if you have the visualization that your, your vertebral body, your spine is crumbling or falling apart, or, you know, you've got this jelly-like disc that's bulging in and out and, you know, unstable, you know, there's no strength to the spine, then you know, how can you move forward from there? You know, it, it, like, it creates that anxiety. And we talked about earlier, you know, the, it promotes that fear avoidance, activity avoidance. You know, that's a, that ultimately, that's a, that's a really harmful thing, a negative thing, because we know, we know from research in our own practice that you know, loading these structures, these discs, the joint, an arthritic joint, whatever it might be, is good for them. You know, they're living, they're living structures there to maintain a healthy equilibrium, we need to apply a certain degree of stress and load and activity. If we shield them too much, they potentially become weak and stiff and painful. We talk about the phrase motion is lotion. So through, you know, even subconsciously, if we use these terms, it can send them right down this path when you can make it really difficult to treat them. And you know, the worst case scenario is that they've been primed with these, these terms and it's in the back of their mind. And, they won't engage with the rehabilitation, the physiotherapy, and that you know that's you know they, they're too nervous to work through exercises or work with you as a physiotherapist, and they, they're not going to make any progress because we know that's what's going to help them ultimately. It's really difficult. So I think you know, we have to be honest with patients. You know, if you've got a, a torn ACL, you've got a torn ACL. Yeah, you know, we can't we can't skip around that. It doesn't help anyone to be to to, to dance around that subject, but. You know, we can be try and be, I, you know, personally, I try and be as accurate as I can about the description, about the anatomy. You know, I try and talk them through it in, in more into layman's terms without wanting to be patronising. So if we talk about a slip disc again, that's probably the best example, isn't it? Because we hear about it all the time. So we hear so many different variations of slipped, bulging, herniated, popped, cracked disc. That's probably the worst, <laughs> the worst I've heard. Um, you know, these, all these negative connotations. Jam donut as well. That's a classic. You know, the disc is like a, a jam donut, which absolutely it isn't. So I try and give the impression that, well, get them to understand that, you know, the, the disc is a, it's a living structure, but it's incredibly robust. It's incredibly strong. 
it's anchored down, you know, it can't slip and move out of place. But it is a sensitive structure. You know, it's just, it's designed to absorb shock and it's designed to, to move as a joint, but it's sensitive and it has its own nerve fibers, its own nerve endings. Um, it has ligaments which anchor it to the bone. So if it's irritated, if you have a sprain of a ligament for a certain type of movement, yes, it's going to be very painful. It's going to trigger quite an exaggerated response by the body when the muscles go into lockdown. And that's your, that's your patients lying on the floor with their, their back gone. So it's about finding a balance between helping a patient understand that these, these structures are incredibly robust and they're designed to, to take stress, but also help the patient understand that, you know, sometimes the body reacts in a very exaggerated way to these things. And that's, that's, you know, it's, it's a common pattern that we see. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, language is, is, is so important and, you know, it's about individual clinicians, communication skills as well. You know, we, it's a skill to learn how to talk to patients about that. Absolutely. I was, sometimes you have to, sorry. I mean, sometimes you have to, if you, you talk about the, the radiologist report, sometimes you have to sit down with that report, talk about why that radiologist might've used those terms and maybe put it in more realistic kind of language. I was, I, I was going to interject there and just give my thought, it just, my thought straight to, I think it was a Gerard quote when he was talking about, you know, what he'd been told. I think it was about his groin pain or about his hamstring. And he's, you know, he was saying, you know, after the terms they'd been using, he was worried that, each time he played, he was concerned that something was going to pop or that he was going to, you know, tear something because of the terminology that had been yeah. used throughout his re long rehabilitation process. So yeah, I can't yeah. remember exactly what injury, but I think I think it was uh, the cheese grater metaphor. I think they'd said something like it's like it's like your tendons been cheese grated. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, imagine that. Imagine trying to play elite level football when you you've got this image <laughs> in your head that you, you someone's taken a cheese grater to your to your tendon. Yeah. There's an imminent, you know, imminent implosion or explosion of attendance to give way or, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, how, how can you perform at a, at any decent level with that sort of, you know, on your mind, essentially? It doesn't just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. James, at this, at this point, um, when we're, we're closing out, we always ask our guests the same question, which is about just recommendations for other sources of where you get um, either inspiration or things you like to use for learning or, uh, resources that you can recommend normally we talk about podcasts or books that you've enjoyed recently or or anything where it doesn't have to be related to scans preferably not because uh, this is you know should should have covered pretty much all aspects of that but anything that you've enjoyed recently basically um well, I obviously I have a very musculoskeletal bias really and I, you know, I tend to gravitate towards sports medicine or sports science podcasts in the main because I'm pretty busy and any time I get to do any self-directed learning is on the tube or in, in transit so podcasts are pretty much my pretty much my go-to I mean some of the, the concepts we talked about today with respect to language we talked about crumbling spines etc and um, the role of scanning and when it's important when it's not there's certainly um, a couple of good podcasts on the back pain podcast which Rob Beaven um, runs uh, certainly David Poulter and I think Adam Dobson both did some good podcasts recently on that. Um, so it's worth, and they're very accessible for a patient. So it's worth having a dive into that, I think, in terms of expanding some of the topics we talked on today, get into a bit more detail. There's the, I don't know if you guys listen to it, the Real Science of Sport um, podcast with Ross Tucker and uh, Mike Finch. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty far reaching. It covers lots of topics, but things that are really relevant and up to date. You know, anything from sort of training strategies, nutrition, meds, running shoes. 
So um, that's that's a, that's a useful deep dive. And although I'm a doctor, I <laughs> I say this quite a lot. I I learn the majority of my stuff from you know clever physios like you guys, and I spend a lot of my time listening to a podcast like Physio Matters, for example, that Jack Chu runs. A lot of those are clinician orientated, but there's quite a few patient centered episodes. I think the patient matters and health matters episodes are, are really good. You know, patients come on and give them, give, give their perspective on that. So it's quite, I mean, it's, if you, you know, there's lots of podcasts around that, you know, to, to really explore and have a think about. And I sort of, I dip in and out of them from week to week, really. James, thanks very much. Um, you've been absolutely fantastic. Loads of information there. Um, it's uh, really great to talk to you uh, about these topics in a, with a bit more structure because we've had these conversations at work a few times, but yeah, really getting some, some structure on that for hopefully to help other people and especially people that, that are unsure about some of these topics or maybe have thought that scans are the be all and end all um, just to get a bit of context about that. So thanks so much for coming. Um, this is now late on a, a Sunday night, so we'll let you get back to, to, to your life and yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. James, Thanks, guys. Before you leave, how can people find you? Where can people, um, you know, where can people see you or where can people um, engage with you on social media and whatnot? Just so our listeners can. Yeah. So, I mean, mainly I'm an, I spend my time, as you guys know, on, on Twitter, um, waxing lyrical. I think my, I can't, I can't remember what my t- Twitter handle is. I think it's at Dr. JN's underscore sports med. I think that's my. Yeah, it is. I just checked. I, I thought you yeah. might get that wrong. I thought I better, I better double check. This. Nice. I, was, I, I yeah. can't expect him to remember this. <laughs> but that's where I spend most of my time. So um, yeah, feel free to follow me. Yeah, that's about it really. Yeah. That was epic. Very good. I mean, it's just so, so much, so much knowledge there and uh, yeah, so much experience dealing with that topic so I couldn't really think of anyone better to have on to chat about that what I like about James is um he really values the art like and he spoke about it a lot but the art of communication making sure you digest the information bring it into the context use good communication strategies involve yourself within a team you know he, it's all the things we would agree with and we see our roles doing the same sort of thing but he's just got his SEM hat on you know yeah, because sometimes I think that the doctor and the physio, you know, very much so before I joined Pure, it felt very separate. It's like sometimes you're almost reluctant to let go of the patient because you might never see them again because the doctor takes them and, and they get lost in that journey. So to, to have someone like like James to work with, just it, it feels like a genuine multidisciplinary team where you're all working together towards the same the same goals. So uh, it sounds, it does sound a bit cliche, and but, but it, is, it is really great to work alongside someone like James. Yeah, and I think there was lots of, well, I hope there was, and we'll, we'll wait for comments and, and feedback, I suppose, but I hope there were some really, there were some themes that were very uh, accessible and addressed some real issues that uh, patients and, and those that may be going through a journey of, um, especially a musculoskeletal journey at present, a, an injury um, that they can relate to, you know not hanging uh, everything on potentially on the scan results, for instance, you know, that just because they don't show or do show something that may not necessarily be important. And just that theme on its own, I think is, is great to hear and hopefully will help some people when they do engage or listen with this podcast. Absolutely. Um, I'd encourage any listeners that do have any questions or any comments about what we've been talking about today to get in touch um, either on our Instagram page, um, in uh, which is at the.healthspace, or um, they can email us direct, uh, uh, which is thehealthspace.co 
at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you, whether it's something that's really touched you today, something that's really um, made you think, or even if you disagree with any of it, I think that'd be great just to hear from anyone who's got any, any alternative viewpoints. Yeah, and final bit of uh, shameless promotion. Um, if you could like, share, subscribe the podcast, that would be really useful. That's what's going to help us promote this to more people and hopefully the more people that need this information will be able to access it and hear it. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe and give us a five-star rating. We'll keep bringing you the gold. Follow us on Instagram at the.healthspace and for any questions or ideas for future content, email us at thehealthspace.co at gmail.com.